I'm Sarah Myerskoff and this is the Insurance Brokers Podcast where we're talking to the personalities and the businesses that sit behind our industry. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform. Hello, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. It is fabulous to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Me too, actually, um, because often I talk to lots of different people in the insurance industry and it's all really interesting um, stuff and I always learn something. What I'm particularly excited about is we both come at this from a marketing and sales background. So, um, uh, you know, in the insurance industry. So I'm, I'm really interested to see uh, where and how this goes. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview about who you are and a little bit about your business? Yes, yeah, sure. So I'm Lucy Mudd. I am the founder of a content marketing agency based in Norwich. Uh, we started uh, life in 2018 as Method Marketing, and we specialize in working with clients in regulated um, and compliance heavy industries because they have very specific needs around uh, writing articles, website content, even podcasting, things like that. They have very specific needs. So we have specialized working with those sorts of industries um, and companies like insurance brokers. And what's your background before um, 2018? Um, so I started out my career as a magazine editor. So I worked uh, predominantly for a content, uh, sorry, a contract publishing agency. Um, we produced magazines for other organisations, but then moved sideways into marketing with a particular focus on content. Um, I have been agency side and in-house uh, with my last role uh, in-house uh, at an insurance brokers before setting up Method Marketing. Fabulous. So is that why the um, focus for method marketing was regulated industries because because of that previous role? I think it's partly that. Um, so we do have experience actually as a team. So I have worked in finan with financial services and um, insurance before. My team also have experience in, in financial services and have worked in regulated industries as well. Um, and we do just find we have um, a lot of expertise that we can help um, those sorts of businesses make inroads into the marketing and start driving results. So I think it was it was it's come full circle, if you know what I mean. So the more experience we get, the more we're attracted for those sorts of businesses and, and round and round it goes. Um, but yes, I think I think it's an underserved area and we've certainly found that, you know, we've worked with companies who haven't necessarily had great experiences with marketing or find that they don't get the results they're looking for, whereas we can really help with that. I think that's fabulous. And I think um, it, it kind of echoes some of my experience in terms of marketing in uh, financial services and the insurance industry and how it's viewed. So I mm -hmm. think um, what we've kind of uh, planned to talk about um, are why, or I suppose the top five reasons that um, regulated industries uh, find marketing challenging really um so uh really uh looking forward to hearing what you've got to say do you want to kick off what do you think the top reason is that we that, that, that marketing is so challenging in this area we do find a lot of it's around finding the time so one of the top challenges we have um or our clients have sort of expressed with us is you know we want to do X, Y, and Z, but we don't have the time. You know, we want to build a new website, but we don't have the time to write the content. We want to to run this event, but we don't have the time to organize it. Um, and I think we've sort of also found that as a sort of hand in hand in that, with that is there is not necessarily a strategy from the top down. So marketing is more of a reactive activity rather than a proactive activity. So there's no consistency with what's happening and then things happen at the last minute. So then it really does feel like there's not enough time to get everything done because 
it's not in the planner. There's no time set aside for it for the marketing team or for the in-house team. We've worked with a couple of um, organizations building websites and they said that their team were going to write the content. But obviously, the teams are you know, doing their roles, selling insurance or um, working on claims and things like that. They don't have time to do the, the website content, for instance. There's a real fine line, isn't there, in terms of not having the time versus not prioritizing it or really believing that this is worthy of the time sort of everything else takes uh priority so uh, i've come across circumstances where time is an issue but often it's it's priorities an issue why is mm-hmm. it why is it that marketing is not given the same priority uh, in many many instances as for example sales is when actually the two are very very interlinked and um complement each other incredibly if done well it is interesting. I think there is a, a certain focus on sales because it, the perception is that there's it's, there's more of an impact on the bottom line, probably, um, whereas marketing maybe is viewed as a bit more wishy-washy. I think that's possibly um, part of it. And you often see um, in organisations where there's a head of sales and marketing, and by and large, I don't think I've ever seen an organisation where it's someone with a marketing background doing that role. It's normally a sales person doing that role, and they tend to prioritise sales. Um and I do understand that, you know, you, you want to put um, bring in more business and, and increase the bottom line. But I think, as you say, marketing and sales go hand in hand. And I think marketing often supply the content and the supporting materials to get that sale across the line. So I think it's a bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of um, underestimation of marketing and its power is just to sort of do it reactively and just focus solely on the sales side of it. I've also found, and I totally agree with what you're saying, I've also found that there's a a very reactive um, uh, way of viewing social media. So if you say marketing, people think I need to be on LinkedIn and Facebook or Instagram or whatever, uh, and I need to post weekly. Check, done, marketing finished. Now let me go and concentrate on the sales. Um, and when I did some training uh, a long time ago now, something that really stuck with me was um, the trainer saying, if you imagine a business, the pipework of a house being the pipework of a business, marketing is the pipes and the sales are how hard you turn the taps. Um, And I really like that analogy because it shows how integrated they are when done properly. So again, what you're talking about, the top-down strategy, who do we want to market to? Where do they sit? What are they interested in? Therefore, how can we help them? And all of that is marketing and sales. And I don't really know where the line is, but that idea is not, it, you know, it's on paper. It's not felt or, you know, the, the, the culture doesn't believe that generally in the insurance industry. So it's 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 mm-hmm. time priority for me. And I don't know how you change that that mindset. Yeah, I think for me, I was also always taught about the marketing funnel, you know, that you you start at the top and you have to have a level of awareness and then driving those people through the stages to conversion to sale. And actually marketing is that top bit. It's, you know, the the being found on Google. It's the being, you know, reaching the right people on social media. It's all of those things, going to the right events and having the right materials. Marketing helps with all that stuff that gets that sale. And, And I don't know why it's forgotten. I don't know maybe if it is because lots of people who are in senior leadership positions are from that sales background and therefore put a lot of emphasis on sales maybe. Um, But I will be interested to know the reason for it. 
I'd be interested too. I'd be interested if anybody listening has any thoughts on this, whether you are um, a one-man band, whether you are, um, you know, a, a director in a, in a large uh, brokerage or insurance company. I'd be really interested. I do, th- I do see the tide changing though. I'm seeing, um, I am definitely seeing a lot of change. And I think that's coming with an awareness of, of digital selling with the increase of selling like uh, the way Amazon does it. Um, you know, that that mindset and kind of younger generations, I definitely think there's a more online presence, which I think is supporting an increased need for marketing. But it's it's a watch this space moment, isn't it? It is. There's a lot changing. And as you said, uh, just before we came on this um, call, we were chatting a bit about ChatGPT and how much things are accelerating and changing. I mean, marketing doesn't sit still for very long um, and technology is, you know, really accelerating that. It is. I'm so interested in in chat GPT. I've only had a play around on it. I haven't done anything major on it. Um, I think I asked it to tell me a story of um, a mermaid and it <laughs> regurgitated very quickly, very eloquently, very grammatically, perfectly um, the the Hans Christian Andersen uh, Little Mermaid story with a few differences. Um so I, th- I find chat uh, GPT really, really interesting. Tell me what your take on it is as a content writer. So I am struggling to get access to it, but I have had a play around with somebody else's account. It, it's terrifying and exciting in equal measure, I feel. Um, I think it's exciting what it can do. It, it's amazingly clever. Um, the way it can scrape loads and loads of information together to create a cohesive article is fantastic, but I don't really think it's coming for our jobs anytime soon. Um, I think you still need to do research and you'll still need to edit anything that it produces. So, you know, for instance, when I played around with it, some of the information that was in there was wrong. It had been misinterpreted from the website it took it from, and actually the information was used incorrectly. So it did take someone, it would take someone to go through that and say, well, well actually that's wrong. You need to, we need to change this. Um, and also checking the sources. Now, my understanding is at the moment, I don't think it gives sources, but certainly in my background as an, ed- as, a, as an editor and a journalist is to know your sources and to know they're reliable and try and get at least two that corroborate each other. So my fear might also be that it's using Wikipedia, for instance, to, to generate facts and, and factual information, which again, in a regulated sector, you need to be really, really careful with that and making false claims. Um, so while I think it's very exciting that you can create like a thousand word article in a couple of minutes, I don't think the work is done and I don't think it's going to completely take away any human element. Um, the other thing I'd say is it's also scraping what's already out there. So the article that the tech goes out and finds all these different sources, this is my understanding, and puts them together in an article. Well, then there's no new viewpoints in that. There's no new voices. There's no new takes on anything. Whereas certainly a lot of what we do at Method is we, we talk to people, we run interviews, we, we chat to people and, and draw out unique perspectives or different types of expertise, which obviously an AI isn't going to be able to do. Absolutely. The other the other thing I noticed when playing around with it, um, I asked a couple of questions specific around the insurance industry. And it told me, I'm sorry, I can't answer this. My sources are from two years ago or whatever it might be. can't remember the exact um, time frame. So if you are wanting to create something very unique, fresh viewpoints, current, then it's not for you. I do wonder where it's going to go because it's very much in, in its infancy at the moment. I do wonder what the progression of that will be and how mm. how you know how that might look in in 5 years time maybe we should come on again in 5 years time and do a, a chat gpt uh, only podcast 
Well, there was, um, just thinking back about the last five years, I remember when my last role was a, as an editor, we were starting to see these technologies rolling through. Um, and, and and someone had programmed one to, to create a film script. And it was bizarre. It was totally strange. Like it, it had basically been fed a lot of film scripts and then told, right, now write me a film script. And then the, the, the screenwriting company, they, they went ahead and made it. And it is completely bonkers and confusing and doesn't make any sense. Whereas now it seems that it has accelerated over those past few years to actually make sense. And, and the things that I have read that G- ChatGPT has written do make sense. So it has already come on leaps and bounds to this point. So, yeah, in five years' time, I'd be really interested to see where it ends up. I was listening to a podcast that's completely unrelated to insurance. It's Mo <laughs> Gaudat, who was the... Um... Google X chief business officer, incredible man's written an incredible book called Solve for Happy. Um, so his background is very technical and he's very logical and he's very mathla- mathematical. And in this podcast, he was talking about how um, AI at the moment is learning from every single interaction we have on the internet. It's all learning. And if you think of it as the toddler and how impressive the toddler is at this stage, And he said one thing that he is personally quite concerned about is the difference between AI in its adulthood in terms of intellect is the difference between Einstein and a fly in comparison to humans. And the question then becomes, why do you keep the the fly around? Um, So so I'm I'm fascinated by this um, whole kind of process. Uh, um, And hopefully, just bringing it back to the challenge of time and priority, um, things like this absolutely highlight the need for us to be visible and present with educative, informative, fresh, current uh, ideas. So, um, yeah, so I think it's really interesting. It is. I think it's an exciting time to be alive to see what happens. It is. And very, very scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to focus on like the positive side of things because, yeah, if I think about the negatives, it could be quite terrifying. I sometimes have a strong desire to move to the Outer Hebrides and take all tech from my children as the only way to like preserve their childhood. But that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so finding time versus priority, massive challenge, uh, I think, for many industries. But um, there's additional challenges in, in regulated industries. What do you think an, a second sort of challenge is for these type of industries for marketing? Um, we sort of uh, I found consistently tech integration. So finding, um, getting a CRM integrated with legacy systems and things like that tend to be quite challenging. So there's, again, with technology moving forwards, there's a lot you can do now with automations and, and automating communications. And I think there's a lot of um, challenges around getting that moving, moving from legacy tech or finding something that will connect with that so that you can pull out useful data. So segmenting your information and making sure that each segment is getting appropriate information. We we see that that's quite a challenge sometimes if there's old tech in place. And it's difficult to move away from those because there's lots of data held in these legacy systems. So how do you move away from that? I also think in terms of tech, the... um... What's available out there is so huge and it all seems to do a little bit of what you need. So you can end up in a situation where you've got several different systems almost talking to each other, but not quite. 
And and actually, it, it can be an IT nightmare. For me, I'm not technical at all. I have to get my kids to put the TV on for me because it's a smart TV. We've lost the remote and you use an iPhone. So I'm not technical at all. But um, but I find the world of technology completely um, mind-boggling. And I think that's a big problem, particularly if you're a smaller company and you don't have, you know, the the... the the IT department that can can go to and sort all of this out. Mm, yeah, it's. I don't think there's an easy solution by any means on it. I know that there are solutions coming through. I think um, there's like Actuous has got plugins with CRMs and things like that. So there are solutions coming through, but there is no there's no quick win. I don't think. But there are lots of benefits if you do go through with you know installing a CRM that talks to to your systems because you can manage that data a lot better, keep it up to date, make sure that you know your that, that people who whose addresses are incorrect are removed from the system and that, that you know that the process is the sales process is actually facilitated a lot of the time through those CRMs. So you can keep a clear view of who's a prospect, who's nearly um, a client, who is an existing client, who's a loyal client, and how you communicate with them. It, it does make life um, a lot easier. It's just, I think, getting, as you say, getting those uh, across the across the line with getting that tech in place is a bit of a challenge. How much of a challenge do you think it is? So if you can get the tech in place, getting people to use it? I think like with all marketing, you have to focus on the benefits with the user and demonstrate like, you know, what it can do for your sales and for your client relationships. I think that always has to be the lead. You know, if it can make client communications smoother simpler more straightforward there's got to be lots of benefits in that it just might take a bit of bit of an effort at the beginning to to work through all the sort of legacy data yeah mindset changes uh, and mm. new technologies uh two of the, the hardest things hardest hurdles to get over but is a is a really legitimate challenge from a marketing and sales perspective um, mm. for, for, for again, many industries, but particularly reg, uh, regulated industries, when you're talking about um, GDPR and how, how, you know, if somebody hasn't contacted you within the last 12 months, do you have something within your system that automatically removes them? Do, does your system, do your system speak to each other? If somebody unsubscribes from a newsletter, uh, do they speak to each other? And, you know, those type of, of, of things are, are really real we see a lot of doubling up so you know if we send out an e-shop for one of our clients and we get a bounce back we then have to email the account exec who's responsible a lot of the time to have that data removed from from the database and where there's manual things like that that's where things drop through the cracks mm-hmm. um and that that's i think is one of the big challenges with the tech isn't it because there's got to be manual bits in between you're reliant on somebody you know having their brain screwed on that day not being too tired and uh, not being too overwhelmed just to remember the the mm. really important but really small tasks uh, one of the things that um we've talked previously about as being a, a a problem for um marketeers in the insurance industry is the use of jargon um which i think is which i think is really interesting uh what what are your thoughts on it I think it's natural that if you are working in an industry and you're very much involved in that industry, you don't even realise you're doing it. I think a lot of the time, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that when you know I speak to my mum about marketing, she has no idea what I'm talking about. I think it is a natural problem with just being in an industry and, and working and, and caring about it. Um, but sometimes it helps have someone from outside the industry to talk to and help interpret that. 
Um, so a lot of the time with our clients, what we'll say is, you know, you are the experts in what you do in, in insurance, but we are, you know, the marketing communication specialists. So if we work together, we can help create something that will speak to the lay person who's not in the industry in a way that they will understand and be able to apply it to their life or their business. Um, and so they understand the benefits um, because it's not a, a deliberate thing. I think it's just sometimes you you don't realize that not everybody knows about a particular term or what a particular term means. I think that's really true. I remember when I first started in the insurance industry, um, really, I can't remember what the what the acronym was, but there was something that was really basic. And I remember asking, what's this in a in a training, um, in a training thing, and being mortified when I realized what it was. But it's again, if you're not from the industry, how do you know? And and, and yeah. if you are from the industry, you take for granted, don't you? What what other people Yeah. I think it was hardening market was one of the, the terms that I had never heard before. Um, and that was, you know, I think within the last 18 months, I've sort of become aware of what a hardening insurance market means. And I've been working in it for, you know, in the, in the industry for quite a long time, but I hadn't come across that term. And so I had to stop and say, hang on a minute, we, you know, we probably should explain what this means. If, if I'm not aware of it, what, what is it? There is a little bit of a, um, I want to say ego, but ego is not the right word. Um in being able to say to somebody, "Stop! I, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying there," because, like I found in that training, it was a, it was an a incredibly stupid question um, to everybody there. But to me, I'd never heard it before, so you know, you don't know what you don't know till you know you don't know it. Um, so there's a little bit of ego and sort of self uh, worry that if you're putting things that are very jargon heavy out there, you turn people off because they don't want to look stupid. Um, I think that's a really critical thing to to be aware of when you're putting marketing material out i do think i don't know how you feel about it but if you get um i'm not just saying insurance but legal documents or things like that we get the small print how many people read those because actually they're so impenetrable and i think that's the same with marketing is if you can't if your readers don't get it or made a fool like they're stupid or they've got a stupid question you switch them off a lot of the time people won't persevere because because they don't they don't want to if they feel like they're feel stupid mm. you know you lose them at that point I did a really interesting podcast um just before Christmas um a really interesting one with um direct line group and their electric vehicle um uh electric vehicle team and um they were talking about ice vehicles I now know that's internal combustion engine vehicles i.e not electric but I didn't know and, and I said on the podcast oh, what's that um, I just learned this new term um, and I made a bit of a thing out of it. And I wasn't sure afterwards whether I just made myself look like an idiot or not. But actually, it's quite difficult to do that. And I think more people should go, hang on a minute. I don't understand what you're saying. Um, talk to me. But definitely jargon yeah, it, is a problem. I think that's the thing with, with me and my career is that I've kind of prided myself on being nosy. And if there's something I don't understand, I'll be like, hang on a minute. Can you can you go back and just just explain that to me? Um, but yeah, I hadn't really thought about it as a as a skill that not everybody sort of wants feels comfortable using. So that's I, really interesting. I think it's a I think it's a real skill. It's one that I've learnt, um, but in a relatively um, self diminishing way. So I was make a little bit of a joke out of it, uh, but a, a, a skill nonetheless. I get to where I'm going, and hopefully, as a podcaster and, and reporter, that opens up for other people to go. Hang on a minute, don't really know what you're talking about there. 
Um, but no, I think actually with insurance as well is I think people can be intimidated by by it that you know they see a lot of terms that they don't understand and sort of just switch off. And I think that's one of the benefits of working with someone who doesn't actually get it, if, if for want of a better phrase, is that I will you know I will sit there and say, hang on a minute, I just don't understand. Can we go back? Um, because it can feel like a big responsibility. So, so I've just recently made a claim on my um, travel insurance and and feeling like I don't understand the claims process for that particular provider. It was it was actually quite complicated and thinking, you know, I, I'd quite like someone to translate what I need to do next. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so top three challenges so far, finding time versus priority, integration with technology, particularly CRMs, the use of jargon, that's what it was. Uh, another link that I think is really important that's often missed between sales and marketing is if you are a sales um, uh, representative, say you're, you're, you're a, um, an account exec and you're sitting in front of your client and their renewal's gone up by, I don't know, 200% and you're going, it's because of the hardening market, you've missed a big fundamental part of the marketing, which is de-jargonizing stuff. So that's another example of when the, where the, the two work together, I think. And it's quite an important example. That's what the point was. Um, okay, fourth. Fourth biggest challenge. Um, it sort of comes back around to the um, finding time priorities, but actually we've, we found that reporting, a lot of um, companies, not just insurance, but just in general, find that reporting is a challenge on marketing. Um, especially if they're using more traditional methods, say print advertising, um, leaflets and things like that, that, that reporting, it's a bit of a vicious circle because if you don't get the reports with the data about how the marketing's performing, you can't learn from it. So therefore, is it worth prioritizing? Um, so yeah, we do see that reporting and, and, and understanding where you, your marketing spend is going can be a challenge. I think that links quite well to the insurance side, uh, sorry, the um, tech uh, integration side of things, because if you've got five different technologies, all have their own management data that you can pull out. And always with data, always there's discrepancies. So what do the, so you get kind of lost in, well, this says this and this says this, but they should say the same and they don't. So you get lost in trying to fight, figure out which one's actually correct without taking the time to go, actually, this tells me that in uh, January we had, 15 uh you know new new prospect meetings for example mm -hmm. of that 10 went on to quote and we won five why did we lose the five that we did that we quoted for and why didn't we get those five that that's where where the information should be looking at but it can be quite difficult when you've got overfacing um information tell me this so one of the things we do I think you guys um, might also do as well is, is social media. Uh, we don't do a lot of it, but we do do a couple um, a couple of uh, social medias. And we always do the reports at the end. There is so much out there about what you're looking at. What is it that you want to know? And what's your take on this? What do I want to mm. know at the end of a month on my LinkedIn um, reporting? So... We try and be as transparent as possible and give as much information as possible, but then interpret it. So we do look at things like impressions, the number of times a social media post might have been seen. But we tend to find engagement rate is a better gauge of, of that because because of the algorithms, not everybody who follows you is going to see your content. But what we want to know is of the ones that did see it, how many engaged, how many have 
liked or commented or shared your content. So where's that touch point come from? Um, we also um, look at how much of that translates through to website views. So we will then go from that social media platform over to Google Analytics to see how many times, you know, of those people that engaged, how, how much traffic went to your website. Lucy, talking about reporting, talking about the type of stats that you're looking for on social media, um, there's a lot of vanity stats out there. What what are your thoughts on that? Tell me tell me what you think about it. Yeah, so um, sort of vanity metrics are kind of misleading, I think, in some ways. So there'd be things like um, follow accounts. Um, so we see a lot of businesses saying, you know, I want to get my follow account to like 2,000, 5,000 on LinkedIn or Instagram. But it is just a vanity because if those people aren't the right people, they if they aren't your audience, they're just there to get the numbers up it's not really that useful for you. What you need to see really is an engaged audience. So it might be that your audience is only 10 people, but if all 10 of those people are engaged and liking your content and sharing it and then going through to your website to you know, make an inquiry, those 10 people are far more valuable to you than 10,000 10, people who, who aren't engaged. So I would say just be wary of, of vanity metrics and, and, and being misled by numbers that aren't necessarily that useful to your overall objectives. I think that's another link between sales and marketing that's often missed is who do you want to be following your page and what do they want to hear and therefore what are we going to post because that's how you build an engaged audience by by having you know a, a conversation uh, and some strategizing around those topics what mm. um what what do you look at for a good engagement rate I think it varies. I think it depends on um, who you are and where you're starting from. Um, I think I think the average is something like I want to say it's something like three percent um, engagement rate um, on most social media channels. So if you can get anything above that, that's fantastic. Um, we've seen like certain posts do sort of forty five percent engagement rates, or like on a one off, which we think is fantastic. But um, yeah, trying aiming for like the five percent. Or higher, I think it is a good aim, but um, and learn from what works. So certainly something that we do and very much as part of the methods that we use is, well, what worked? What can we learn from that? So if your audience, I mean, certainly something we, we see with insurance brokers is, is the behind the scenes type content works particularly well. So, you know, putting faces to names, what they're doing, you know, what's happening at your office. Are you having a charity bake sale? Are you doing some training? that kind of behind the scene content works really, really well and learning from that. So actually, if there was a picture with lots of people from a training day, is there something else we can do to replicate that, you know, to bring more people to life, to bring more of a sense of um, personality to the content rather than just using stock images all the time. So look at back at what's done well and what's got a high engagement rate in the past and see how you can replicate that. I think that mirrors my um, experience or our experience with, with clients as well is, is, the personal posts far outweigh the others, even on LinkedIn. And it's not, mm. you know, here's my Christmas tree or I had salmon for dinner. It is, you know, the people behind the scenes. So I think that's that's really interesting. One of the things that we found gets um, really high engagement because we do um, event reporting and we do podcasts are bloopers videos. Um really really funny and some people are a bit like oh can we do this we're you know professional yes you can it's making that it's bringing the people to life we're all human and and it happens so I think that's really important um mm. question for you 
when you're looking at the uh, uh, engagement through to website stats, um, one of the, the things that I come up against is we don't sell on our website. We're not web people. We are people people. Um, so what, what do you say to that? I think that it might be slightly, what's the word I'm looking for? I think people like to do research. So while you might not close the deal on your website, if someone's clicked through, they, they're interested in finding out more about you and what you can do for them. So consider, even if you're not selling through the website, how can you reassure them that you're not some fly-by-night firm, that your clients are happy with what you do and how you operate, how to get in touch with you, who to get in touch with, to, to, to make that inquiry, I think, because people do do um, research online, people do go to websites to find out more about you before getting in touch. So even if that's not how you close the majority of your sales, it's important to have a presence online, even if it is just to show that you're reliable and reputable and, and, and a bit more about the team that you've got in place. Absolutely. Another thing that I think is quite interesting and a lot of people miss when they're looking at the metrics is what um, demographics, what's your uh, demographic, engagers demographic? If, for example, you sell, uh, I don't know, uh, insurance to uh, high net worth individuals and you are not a wholesale broker at all, but 80% of your engagement is coming from the insurance industry, it's your competitors checking out what you're doing. And that happens more than anybody realizes uh on on social media so it's again going back to the audience that your followers are 80 percent of your followers based in timbuktu and are insurance professionals do you sell to people in timbuktu who are insurance professionals no then there's there's some kind of strategizing to do on your marketing that was quite an eye-opener for me when i when i kind of first started the other thing i would also say is lots of um to your argument about you know we're not web people we don't sell that way i think there's also an expectation, well, in my experience, that younger generations do things differently as well. So I technically fall within the millennial um, bracket. I will always go online to find out information before I get in touch with someone. And if there's a live chat on that website, which means I don't have to make a phone call so I can have it, you know, have a chat while I'm doing something else, I will do that every single time. And I think in my experience and my understanding is that that is the way the world is going across the majority of industries is we're getting more and more used to it and the younger generations in particular are going towards the more web-based route um and a lot of them don't like the phone i've been speaking to lots of people recently who work with gen z um uh, and, and they don't like speak on the phone at all so having a website that can take messages or have live chat will open you up to that new generation that's coming up through the workplace and, and um into adulthood I think that's really important. Just watching how my children interact and they're nowhere near work age that, you know, the oldest is 13, 11 and seven, but it is very chat orientated. Um, so I just think that that is going to get a bigger and bigger thing as we go mm. through. OK, so we've done four of our top challenges for marketing for regulated industries. Talk mm -hmm. to me about the fifth biggest challenge that you have identified in your experience. So actually it comes again, full circle back to the, the compliance side of things and the regulation. Now it is important. We know it's important that, you know, that you treat customers fairly and that your, your messaging doesn't misrepresent you or, or what you're offering. Um, but it can sometimes create a bit of a bottleneck 
that um, compliance, you know, if you're producing, if you have a strategy and a plan and you're producing lots of marketing materials, it can be quite onerous on a compliance person to to get that signed off. Um, so we do find that working with compliance and chatting to them, getting to know them, what they like, what they don't like, does really help. But it can, you know, there's always stumbling blocks where you, you come across something that's never happened before and there's a bit of a toing and froing about whether you can say it or not. Um, so I think that can be a bit of a challenge. And I think, um, I think I, I did a podcast not that long ago with uh, talking about uh, the consumer duty uh, changes that are coming in in, in, in this year. Um, and I think it makes a lot of people nervous. So having working with somebody that is uh, aware of these things, I think is, is really, really important unless you have an internal team that, that can do it. But again, I think that's that's certainly a. But having been in house, even certainly we've, you know, I've had it. Having been in house, you know, you you know the compliance person, you get on really well. But they will, you know, it's still important for for the marketing team, the compliance team, to talk to each other to make sure that you know both sides are happy and that you're getting your messaging out there. Absolutely, Lucy. I have found this really informative, and it's really nice to have a chat to a fellow marketeer uh, uh, about some of the things that I find. And it's also really nice to know that you find it too. So, you know, there's, it's not just me out there on my own. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Me too. It's been a really great um, experience having a chat um, to you about the, the things that you've found and the people you've spoken to. Hopefully we can do this again uh, in a few months and see what's moved on, any new ideas, where we are with chat, GBT and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and whether we should all go and live in a hole or something like that. <laughs> yeah, let's all move to the Hebrides quick. Yes, Hebrides, where there's no technology whatsoever. Um, no, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, this episode uh, will be airing live shortly. So um, if you've got any questions after listening, please get in contact with Lucy or myself. Lucy, are you happy that I put your contact details in the show notes? Absolutely. So please do get in touch. To... Super. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Brokers Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform and check us out on YouTube.